hi and welcome to Real Peer Fetish Talks Real Peer Play. This is season four and the first episode. Um, and it's been a nice break, but I'm glad to be back and I'm excited for this guest I'm having on. Um, and you probably, some of you might know him, some might not, but um, he's well known on the scene. So I'll bring him in. There we go. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Let me figure out the camera. I am joined with uh, my sponsor here, Daenerys. Oh, how cute. But I'm naked and she's stepping on my dick, so she's got to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can't have that. Can't have that. No. Well, welcome, welcome to your first live. Yeah, thanks for having me here. It, it, it took a minute to figure out the uh, technology. I haven't done this before. Well, it's it's good to try something new. Yeah, always. Absolutely. And it's in the middle of the afternoon for you, and it's in the middle of the kind of late evening for me here. So, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're UK, right? I'm in the UK, yeah. It's 9 o'clock in the evening here now, so. Oh, yeah. It's, it's 1 p.m. on the, the West Coast in San Francisco. Fantastic, fantastic. Should we just jump into it? I'll do the first four standard questions and then we'll just see where the conversation goes. Sounds good. Fantastic. Uh, what do you prefer I call you? Names, pronouns, and title? Uh, Stefan, he, him. Uh, what, what do you mean by title? Well, whatever you put into it. Daddy's oh, uh, uh, title holders, whatever. It's, well, it's, it is May the 4th, so how about Master Jedi? <laughs> we can definitely do that. We can definitely do just, that. Just kidding. Ste Stefan's fine. Stefan, fantastic. Uh, and tell me just a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, I'm 34. Uh, I'm an attorney that lives in San Francisco. Uh, I do porn under the name Blue Bailey. Uh, I've always kind of had an interest at the intersection of media and the law. Uh, my undergraduate was in radio and TV. My law degree had a focus on intellectual property. Uh, and through my law office, I actually serve adult entertainers and queer content creators. Fantastic. Fantastic. And I already know, but for our viewers and whoever will be listening to this, completely sober, clear-headed, or social drinker? Oh, uh, completely sober. Completely but that's, sober. that's actually has, like changed over the years so i i pretty much entered recovery or started my journey with recovery probably around 18 or 19. uh i got into crystal meth pretty young uh and did a couple 12-step meetings when i was young but i was like you know i'm in my 20s i don't know if i want to commit to never doing anything ever again so i made an effort not to do math and then i guess throughout the last decade to have kind of like uh volleyed back and forth between 12-step programs, harm reduction programs, and other kind of routes of recovery. Okay, fantastic, fantastic. And what is clear play and why is it important? Sure, um, meth for me is, is very destructive. It's not something that I can just do for an evening and put away, even though I've, I've tried that that strategy many times uh it's something that just like keeps me horny for like more than a day and then i start going to work i've stopped showing up to my commitment and i feel like hell so in terms of clear other substances that are not meth but i i can't be around that uh i've been trying to i guess rediscover bdsm so my first introduction with bdsm uh was through adult entertainment and I've, I got to play, play with a lot of things and a lot of gear, um, but it was very cosmetic and very superficial. I didn't really like start to understand the psychology behind it. I'd, I'd be given a bunch of toys and stuff at like Mr. S, like here, go play and have fun with this with the model. Um, but it was for the purpose of, of a shoot. Uh, so I guess lately I've been trying to explore uh, what my relationship is with BDSM and fetish, and that requires kind of having a clear head and kind of being a little bit more selective uh, with my play partners and play partners that aren't doing math and that aren't like super fucked up to the point of intoxication when we play. 
it, it is difficult, especially when you're trying to split the two to kind of find out where do you set on that spectrum of BDSM? What do you enjoy, especially when with a clear head? So it's definitely a relearning thing for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like I, I'm kind of lucky in the sense that I also, before meth, had like a healthy experience with sex and BDSM and I could still it's easy for me to enjoy sex and BDSM, but there are certain things that I definitely gravitated to when I was high. Uh, fisting is a great example for one. I used to like get fisted all the time when I was high. And now that I'm sober, it's something that like, I enjoy more as a top and really just don't have the, the desire or the time to put the practice into it to be a fisting bottom. And I'm, I'm actually very okay with that. Yeah, it's it's I I hear it all the time, uh, especially when people are in early recovery. It's like I will never never be able to fist again. It's like, well, you can. It just takes a bit of effort, a bit of practice, and a bit of patience. Yeah, yeah, and that I mean, I could always choose to to pick up that practice in the future. It's just not one of my priorities right now. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's 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 whatever is in in the right space and the, the right time for it. That's the main thing, isn't it? Yeah, totally. So uh, I know you're a previous title holder. Yes. Uh, so I am uh, Mr. Friendly 2018, uh, which has since rebranded as Team Friendly. We dropped the, uh, the gender behind it, but I competed at IML in 2018 and made it to the finals and I'm hoping I get recast for IML All-Stars if it ever comes around. <laughs> I could just imagine that, that would be, oh, the clashes of the giants. Yeah, I just, I, it was a, that was actually an experience I had um, in one of the re-entries to sobriety. I had broke, had a horrible relationship, like kind of just fall apart. Uh, I needed to finish law school. I passed the bar and I really, once I graduated, needed a project to just kind of like keep me focused and give me a lot of small goals to work on. Uh, so I ran for a title thinking that would give me like several like, like fundraising opportunities and a goal to work towards and a way to kind of rediscover myself and figure out who I want to be. Uh, not knowing that a month after I got my friendly title, my my ex's new boyfriend got uh, a title in the city and we were literally in competition with each other here in San Francisco, which made things a little bit awkward. Just, just a smidgen. It's just a smidgen. Yeah. But I was happy <laughs> I... to go to IML. Like none of the local drama was there. None of the ex-boyfriend drama was there. I was able to kind of just be my slutty self, have a good time. Like I really did approach it as like a drag race competition. I'm obsessed with drag race and I love that RuPaul bakes in uh, recovery wisdom and therapy wisdom into the show. And like the Tic Tac interviews are actually like great prep for IML practice. But I, I approached the leather pageant basically as like, I don't necessarily need to win the crown, but I wanna be myself enough and stand out enough that if I were to get recast on All-Star season, they'd be like, I remember this dude. Well, I, I definitely remember your uh, uh, Jackson Peck picture. That is on a, on my Instagram. Um, I must admit, I was like, I'm going to post that picture and I'm going to quote you because that is absolutely the most... Who was oiling you up behind stage? Um, some of the uh, handlers and some of my brothers. Um, I remember, I'm spacing on the rain, name right now, but I had someone like smack my ass a little bit too to make it a little more red. Uh, I had a real tan or a spray tan. I don't remember which, as you see, I usually don't do. Uh, and then the secret that I've been told is almond oil, not baby oil to like get yourself all greased up for the stage. It gives you like a certain shine. Fantastic. It, it, it's a great picture. I, I definitely one that one to look at. If anyone is looking on Instagram, scroll through my Instagram. There's the picture <laughs> there. Um, so how did you find navigating IML as, as a sober person? Sure. Um, I've had one IML completely sober. I've had IMLs where I've decided to do every substance but math. Uh, and then I, of course, have had several IMLs where I went to Steamworks and didn't leave for three days. Mm -hmm. um, I think having a support system, I love, I love the IML sober meetings that are there. I love that they, um, 
yes, they are 12 step oriented, but like they welcome all walks of recovery. It gives mm -hmm. you a community. Um, I think the biggest thing that I've learned uh, that works for me is having a plan. Uh, and I talk about that with my partner, Sean, like I'm going, say I go away for a weekend for like a leather party or sex weekend. What is my plan? Like what meetings am I going to? Uh, what are my intentions around being on apps or not? Uh, am I committed to being completely sober this weekend or am I committed to not using certain chemicals this weekend? Um, and then actually also coming up with like an exit strategy and thinking it one step further, whereas uh, such as if you do use or you do have like a slip up, what's the plan after that? What do we like? So you have those steps ready to go, even if there is a misstep. Yeah, it did. Uh, my last IML was uh, a mess. Um, I was there performing with the London Gay Men's Chorus. We sang with the Chicago Gay Men's Chorus and conveniently it was the IML weekend. I went into the hotel lobby and I didn't leave for four days. So oh, I've yeah. now seen the backside of that. Um, do not want to do that again. Um, and there, it's, it's not a regret. It was definitely messy, but it's, I want to, when I go to IML again, I need to reclaim it as a safe space. Yeah, definitely. I, what I also like about IML too is, and I guess it makes it a little bit easier for me not to use an IML is that um, there's like so much opportunity for like attention and flirting and so many places to be where it's like, I, I try to keep my schedule super jam packed. So I'm like always going to something and always have like fun new places to go. Um, which I don't have as much success with, with MAL because there's less going on. So there's less, there's more free time for me to like kind of have my mind wander and then get on the apps and then kind of go into like the sketchier hotel rooms. And, and you, you say you've kind of navigated different types of recovery. How, how have you, I, I know you're completely sober now. How did you navigate that in, in early recovery, kind of finding your path? Sure. I think a lot of it has been trial and error and I'm very lucky that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it's been a lot of trial and error and I'm, I'm fortunate that my errors haven't had a lot of permanent lasting consequences. Um, but different strategies have worked for me at different times of my life. Uh, like I was saying earlier, when I was in my twenties, I wasn't ready for 12 step, wasn't ready for therapy. Uh, and I really just tried giving up meth um, cold turkey while still drinking and doing other stuff. Uh, and I drank like a stupid 20 year old and did all the other drugs like a stupid 20 year old. But I actually for a while had success uh, not doing meth. I would, I would get like three months, then five months, then nine months. And then eventually I had like four years of not doing meth, but doing all these other substances. Um, and then someone entered my life um, that kind of made meth like sexy and attractive again. Uh, and this was kind of in law school and it, it got to the point where I wasn't able to keep up uh, and I really needed to kind of reach out for help. Uh, so I went back to 12 step. Uh, this time CMA was available when I was doing uh, 12 step before in Las Vegas, uh, it was only AA. Uh, but I started going to CMA, which is more queer oriented, more sex positive. Uh, and that really helped me just kind of get grounded enough to like get through law school and pass the bar. Um, and then after the bar, I was like, I don't know if I want to be completely sober anymore. And I experimented with drinking again and with cannabis. Uh, and it really led to a risk assessment for me. It's if I, how much probability of a certain substance is going to lead to harm or specifically using meth. With cannabis, there's been zero out of 100 times that I have done cannabis and it's led to meth. There's zero out of 100 times where I've done psychedelics or ketamine and it's led to meth. However, Coke is a lot more risky. That's probably like seven out of 10. Alcohol is like six out of 10. And the more and more that I kind of build my life around me and develop my relationship and develop my career, the more that those risks become unacceptable for me. Um, so even though like drinking is like 50-50, whether it's gonna be a good time or a bad time, that's, that's not acceptable risk for me at all. Uh, and that strategy worked for me really well for a while like i if i'd had meth cravings i'd have an edible 
and I'd get hungry. My mouth would get hungry instead of my hole, and I would just like stay at home, and and that worked for a while. Um, but I, I kept on finding that meth kept on like creeping back in. Um, so I just I decided uh, within the last year to to do a period of total abstinence. Uh, I go both to CMA meetings and harm reduction meetings here in San Francisco. Uh, we have a great program for queer men called Stonewall. They work with you where you're at. I'm currently on a total abstinence track with them. Um, and even though I don't find like cannabis or ketamine or psychedelics to be harmful to me, I'm I'm just doing a total reset and taking a break for a while. And I, I don't like to tell myself, oh, you can never do something or you can't do this. It's like, no, I am making the active choice to focus on other aspects of my life. And if I want to make a choice to do a substance in the future, it will be there. Yeah, it's, 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 it's about figuring out what path works for you. I definitely had a period where I still wanted to be able to drink, but as, as you, you kind of have a scale, what is the risk of me going back to substances if I drink? And it is 100% every time for me because I reach a point of certain drunkness and then I want more. Right. And that in general with any drug really with me. Yeah, I'm in kind of like a very similar uh, strategy for like the apps. I found that like if I'm on hookup apps, uh, I may be able to say no the first time, the second time, the third time, but I don't have the wherewithal to like when a hot daddy messages me with, with free math, like to block him. And then every time I go on the app, I'll gravitate like, oh, what's he up to tonight? Maybe let's say hi. Sure, I'm not going to meet with him tonight, but like, I'll give some abstract answer that maybe we'll meet sometime in the future and then start asking him for like videos and pictures of him using. And it's turned out just to be not a good thing for me right now. And that that may not always be the case, but I've been uh, reverting back to the the, uh, the older ways of uh, cruising in the park and cruising in the gym and just kind of meeting people organically. Yeah, it's it's, it's app can apps can be destructive and well also addictive really you kind yeah. of like, every time that noise comes up did it you have to look <laughs> um yeah. i definitely remember in early recoveries just seeing a phone with a yellow screen was a trigger for me oh yeah because of grinder yeah because of grinder yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, okay, it's, yeah it was so connected for me um with the with the drug taking because it's just so easy access and, and like you, if someone offers me and they look a certain way, it's it's very hard to say no. Yeah, I've, 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 I, so another strategy that I have is, is uh, being in therapy. That's really helped a lot. Um, and basically we've been talking about this, like my, my strategy right now for a lot of these situations is just avoidance because I act impulsively when it's in front of my face or if I enter a room where it's at, I won't even think I'll just start justifying why I should use and why I deserve to use. And then it happens. So I just need to create as many like barriers before even getting meth in front of me. Yeah. It's, 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 it's safety nets, uh, backup plans, people, um, who can you reach out to when you need that kind of support? Um, it's definitely worked for me in the past as well, just to be 100% honest where I'm at. Um, I, I do feel now I'm, I'm coming up to five years completely sober. Um, it's going out can be tricky, but it's, mm -hmm. it's not to the extent where if, if I feel triggered, I'll just pull the plug and go home. Um, yeah, I like, I, I, I definitely relate with that strategy. Like I, I definitely feel like I need to be able to leave any situation whenever I want. And that sometimes makes it difficult going out with other people because then sometimes you worry, like if I'm feeling weird or in my head about something, is that affecting their time? If I need to leave all of a sudden or don't want to be there, are they going to think that I don't want to be like hanging with them or something like that? And it's just kind of like an added layer of what's going on. Um, but I, I enjoy going out and I enjoy going out with a purpose. I'm, I'm captain of an AIDS lifecycle team. Uh, we, part of the way we fundraise is in bars, selling jello shots. And I love being there with a the purpose. I could, I could handle being around alcohol and selling alcohol to people. Um, 
because I know that I have a purpose there. I don't necessarily like just going to bars to hang out for the fuck of it. If I'm not going there to have sex or if I'm not going there for a drag show or an event, um, then I get a little squirrely and I don't like being there. Okay, you mentioned your, um, you, what, would, what did you say the charity was you were working with? Oh, so uh, it's uh, Eighth Life Cycle. It's a bike ride from San Francisco to LA. It raises money for the San Francisco AIDS Foundation. Uh, and I'm captain of a team called the Pedal Pups, which is a, uh, uh, a, a kink positive, sex positive theme, uh, team. Uh, and we train together and raise funds for the AIDS Foundation. Uh, we're actually teaming up with Onyx Northwest on the 13th for an event called Pound Town, uh, where it's basically a fundraiser sex party. There's going to be kink demos there. And then I am producing the America's Next Top Bottom contest. And because we're because uh, we're hosting the event in a dungeon, we're actually going to be able to like have guys show off through like buttholes and like stick things inside themselves, which will which should be pretty fun. So like like in Europe. <laughs> yes, yes, like yes. We, we could do that everywhere here, really. Uh, I know. It's weird that San Francisco is like known as like the gay capital of the world, but like our bars and our scenes are very like not as free as Europe and not even as free as like Chicago. Well, you used to, I, I know I've, I've definitely talked to other people from Chicago and there's, there's definitely opinions on the fact that now people can't walk around naked anymore in San Francisco. Yeah, no, I mean, you can for certain events if it's like part of a protest or part of a city event. Uh, but my partner lived in Chicago for like, I think over 10 years. Um, the bars there, like the back rooms are a lot more happening than our back rooms. Like the Steamworks there is a lot better than our Steamworks. And yeah, it seems like a lot more sex positive there than it is here. And um, you, well, I'm sure most of the people that are watching will know you from your video work um, as well. How did, how did you get into that? Sure. Um, I was playing with someone uh, and they were going to a circle jerk and they're like, hey, they're looking for more people. Would you like to do this? And uh, I was like, sure. And I tried it out and it was all right. Um, I was kind of like overweight and not really like attractive in high school. So that gave me some like validation um, doing stuff like that. Uh, and then like, I just eventually kept on pushing myself to try like bigger and more extravagant things. So like from circle jerks to like blowjob scenes, to fuck scenes, to gangbang scenes, and then the rest of them. Fantastic. And it's still something you do now? Yeah, I mean, I I took a break when I started law school. I, I, I guess I officially like retired because I was really fearful that uh, doing sex work would affect my bar license or would affect uh, my ability to get a job. Uh, I found out it has no bearing on the moral character application being a sex worker in film because that's legal. Um, if you are a person that's a sex worker and has an arrest for prostitution, that may present a problem in certain states. Uh, but at least in California, they're really looking for uh, crimes of dishonesty, so like fraud, uh, and then actually not paying child support. Um, so that barrier was done, and I felt a little bit safer about passing the bar. Um, and then I actually had a mentor at law school. I was asking him, should I put that I volunteer at Folsom Street Fair on my resume? Is that too much? And his advice was, and he kind of had to deal with the same things, just with like putting HRC in the 80s and stuff like that, that yes, it will close some doors if you put that on a resume. But are you really going to be happy working at a place where you can't be yourself? And as many doors as it will close, it will probably open up a lot more attractive and a lot more appealing doors to you. Um, so at that point, I kind of like, I used to have like a Stefan Facebook, a Blue Bailey Facebook. At that point, I just kind of merged both of my identities into me and um, started just being completely open about it. And I worked at a law firm for a little bit. Uh, it wasn't really for me. I didn't really like the area I was in. Uh, and I wanted to work with queer people. So I opened up my own law firm where I could be my own boss and be openly kiki and not have to like feel shame about it. 
Yeah, it's 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 always interesting. Now we, for example, with lockdown, so many people went on to do OnlyFans, and then we came out of lockdown, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're not going to hire you because you, we've seen what you do online. So oh, uh, yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, I I'm one of the people who started doing OnlyFans and just for fans during lockdown because uh, money was tight, and it's to be honest, it's a fun hobby. I was like posting getting fucked on Twitter for free anyways. Might as well, like, do it under a, a Just For Fans account. Um, I definitely don't put enough time or effort into it for it to be, like, uh, a huge profit <laughs> coming in, like, side gig. You really need a full-time job to do that. Uh, but it's a fun hobby. It's a fun way to connect and still be, like, in the industry. Uh, yeah, just kind of, yeah, be connected. So you mentioned the the uh, you passing the bar, and now you do uh, your main work is is as a, a lawyer, or you, you I think I read you read contracts and you work with people in in the adult industry to help them with that. Yeah, so I I would identify as uh, an entertainment and media attorney. Uh, I do business transactions. I don't go into court at all. Um, but I'll do, yeah, I'll do entity formation, I'll do contracts in the media sphere, licensing agreements, talent releases, things like that. Uh, and my friend from law school and I actually host uh, a podcast and YouTube channel uh, called Reading is Fundamental, uh, where we break down topics in entertainment law and entertainment law specific contracts. Uh, so we've talked about like, what is obscenity in adult entertainment, SESTA-FOSTA, uh, we've talked about fan site compliance. Uh, we've broken down like an adult entertainment exclusive agreement. Uh, and I'm super excited. I've been like editing the video this week. Our next video is going to be breaking down the season 15 contract of uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. So that should be super exciting. And uh, it's, we do a little bit, we do like two episodes a month on podcasts and one that's like a hybrid in YouTube. So when we do the YouTube, I get to get in my leather. My friend gets to get in and drag, and we just like have a good time talking about contracts. Oh, it's it's it's. I'm I'm. I'll definitely be watching the in with the RuPaul's Drag Race contract because I'm sure there's some interesting clauses in that one. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty fascinating. Like that that stuff like really interests me, and it's fun to talk about, and I kind of geek out over stuff like that. So how, how, how has the response been to uh, reading It's Fundamental? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people who are listening in because they might either need advice or um, how to get in either into the uh, industry of law as a lawyer and stuff like that. Um, I mean, we're a baby podcast. We're under 10 episodes. This will be like our sixth or seventh one. Uh, but I think we have a pretty good... Uh response and reaction to it so we're just kind of working on like building a base and like bringing people in and if you have ideas feel free to reach out to me on twitter or anything if you need uh us to discuss anything and yeah we're open to a bunch of shit fantastic fantastic it, it's it's very interesting and it, it's 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 quite something with like your background and then moving on to this and it's 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 very inspiring that you keep going and then just try to um, navigate life, if you could say, even with drug issues and stuff like that. So it's it's very impressive. Oh, thank you. And it's, and it's fun to be like on camera again and recording stuff where like, I don't have to spend an hour cleaning out beforehand. I could just show up after eating and be ready to go. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and what, what's, what plans are there in the, in the future? Is there anything on the horizon you're really looking yeah, forward to? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I I work my law practice full-time, developing that, developing some uh, other partnerships to take on more work in the entertainment uh, sphere. Uh, but I'm actually in the middle of writing a book. Uh, it's going to be released with Unbound Edition, uh, published Alex Sheaves last year, Beastly. That um, was very, like, queer and... and sex positive and kink positive um should be i'm hopefully i'm done submitting all my content this week and then moving into just kind of editing and sending things off to the press and the book the book should be out by Folsom. fantastic i'll definitely yeah. look out for that one i'm sure that will be a very interesting read what what will it be about you or will it be what will it be about 
Yeah, so it's 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 uh, kind of a memoir. It's called Blue Movie, and it will be just a collection of scenes. My favorite author is Freddie Stellis, uh, so it's very much inspired by that style of just kind of getting into each scene, giving a lot of uh, gory and excruciating detail, uh, and just giving a bunch of different snapshots of my life over time that hopefully has a little bit of uh, my commentary built into it. That sounds very, I, I definitely will give that a read because as as someone as from the outside looking in, you kind of all only know from hearsay of what people you talk to. Um, <laughs> now, now I'm curious what they're saying. Uh, well, I, I, don't, I haven't heard anything about particularly about you. Well, I did Google your name and it's, 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 and you probably, you probably talked about this to death. The funny thing is, when you look up your name, the word controversial came up. Yeah. Which is, is like, I didn't even dawn on me it would be controversial because you're such a darling and, and, and I've <laughs> met you in real life and you're just a sweetheart. So I was just like poking into it and I was just like, why would that be a problem? But I, I guess also it's eight years ago, it was different eight years ago. Yeah, um, so I'm not, I'm not sure how true this is, but it's my understanding that I was one of the first, like, mainstream condom stars that was open about being HIV positive. There were other models that were open about being positive, but it was at the point where they went from condom to exclusively bareback. And in my career trajectory was exactly the opposite. I started bareback and then was popular enough to, like, kind of segue into the condom videos. So I remember when, like, viral loads came out they like asked me are you okay being open about your status i'm like sure um and then they promoted the film as like a conversion scene where they didn't mention my status and you just saw the pause jar of come and that that was a little unsettling and uh i mean at the end of the day i don't feel like porn is there to educate i think porn is entertainment but if you have a platform outside of the entertainment content, I feel like if you want, you could have a platform to, to kind of have a message. So I took the opportunity of a viral loads to kind of like share my side of the story or it's like, no, like I make HIV positive. I made an informed decision about doing this scene and like nothing in this scene endangered my health other than the fact of getting an STI which is a risk of any sexual activity. Like mm. even when a condom's used, there still are ST risks of STI. Um, and it was, for me, it became a moment, like a teachable moment. Like, hey, yes, I'm able to do these fun kinky scenes, but it's not necessarily like how it's portrayed on film. Yeah, it's, it's, it's I, I guess also being in that industry, it comes with, Sometimes people have a certain opinion of you before you even open your mouth. Yeah. So fun fact, I, I went to New Zealand to work on like a prep project. And this was before they had prep. I did an interview um, with their with the New Zealand AIDS Foundation or I, that's maybe not the specific name. So don't quote me on that. But I did an interview with like the big queer AIDS organization in New Zealand and thought it was gonna be a very positive interview. And the article came out and it was like, New Zealand denounces bareback star Blue Bailey for promoting prep. Uh, I was called, and this was at the height when like AIDS Healthcare Foundation was saying like prep was a party drug. Uh, but I was called like a bug chaser. I was told that I was like promoting riskier activity uh, just by talking about like the science behind prep and then the I don't think it was like official yet, but like there was a lot of science that undetectable was untransmittable. It just wasn't like solidified in a study. Mm. Yeah, the, I, I couldn't imagine being at the receiving end of that kind of slanter, um, especially when you did an interview in good faith, if you could say. Yeah, I mean that that was a little surprising. I think I think I had to develop a thick skin early on, even from like gay men in the community in the United States. Uh, when I started doing bareback porn and I was op open about being positive, I would get death threats from people and and emails that's like, "Die you faggot! You're spreading AIDS, or you're a horrible representation of our community. You're killing people. You're a murderer." Um, so I think early on, I kind of had to develop a thick skin in regard to those comments. 
Yeah, it's 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 it's. You you would wish you get further with the stigma and 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 so on. Of course, we've come very far in the last ten years around stigma, but it's still there though, and it's just a lack of education and knowledge. Um, so it, it's it's. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's what drove me to like Team Friendly. Their whole mission is reducing stigma around HIV. And that's really informed uh, how I've approached law. I've approached law and, and seek to represent people who are in stigmatized communities, whether that's uh, adult entertainment, whether it's queer content creators, whether it's the cannabis community, the psychedelic community. Um, all these voices need representation. And the more that people are visible the more that people are out about their own identity and their own relationship with these substances the more that it normalizes other people and and kind of shifts bias how, how are you found being very open about your recovery journey online um doing interviews like this um how how how's the response been to that yeah um it's been different at different times of my life so i when I, when I went back into recovery, I didn't want to give up cannabis or psychedelics, and I could not find a sponsor that would work with me. So for a while, I had to lie. I had to uh, be like, I'm totally abstinent because the, uh, the people that I came into contact with, they only would help me if I was totally abstinent. And mm -hmm. then I was very fortunate to find a sponsor that was willing to work with a bunch of different like strategies for recovery. Um, but it's been different. People have, people have their own opinions. Um, they, if you're not doing recovery a hundred percent the way that they do it, uh, you're doing something wrong. Um, yeah. what was really like kind of, uh, defeating for me was like when I was doing cannabis, I, I, I accomplished a lot of good things. Like I, I did, I don't even remember, but like, I would be feeling really good about life and feeling like I'm meeting a lot of my life goals, but people would be like, oh, honey, are you okay? But you're still doing cannabis. Are you, are you setting yourself up for relapse? Like, yeah. are you being honest with yourself? And it's like, dude, just shut the fuck up. Like, if an edible is going to keep me from sticking a needle in my arm and I'm able to function in life, like, it's really none of your business. It's, it's, I've, I've talked to other recovery people. I'm, I'm teetotal. That, that's just my journey. And that what that's what works for me. I'm, I'm very mindful of if I'm talking to someone in early recovery and they're not quite give, ready to give up alcohol or don't want to give up alcohol, I would never judge them on that. That is right. their journey to figure out. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I've on occasion mentioned, uh, as an example, I mentioned Demi Lovato because she yeah. does her, completely her their own recovery journey but the amount of hate she get they get so i keep getting the pronouns yeah. right wrong they get um it's just palpable sometimes and it breaks my heart because as long as they are happy that's the main thing yeah i think i think you raise a great example with them lovato i saw a lot of hatred from like the sober community, in particular, the 12 step community, where it's like, oh, how is she calling or how are they calling themselves? I'm doing the same. How are they calling themselves sober? This is stupid. They're just lying to themselves. And no, it's like there's plenty of people that don't do 12 that do different forms of recovery and are successful. Um, it's just that there's a stigma around it and you don't hear about it. You don't hear about successful people leaving the program and choosing other paths where they maybe have targeted abstinence. Um, you only hear about kind of the more extreme cases where it's like, oh, someone went out drinking for one time and they died. And that is a risk. And that is some people's story, but it's mm -hmm. not everyone's. And I think it's important to, to kind of like be open and transparent about your story. It's for me, there is a little battle though, like kind of being newer in sobriety. Um, I'm just coming up on seven months now where it's, I want to be open and, and transparent with my story, but I also want to feel like I have credibility. So I don't want to be like, basically like the baby sober gay or like the newcomer that's like, no, you could do this, but it's actually like, it's not working. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, I've, I've had run-ins with other people where I'm, I'm a very stubborn person. I want to do it yeah. my way. Um, and some 
sometimes that's worked, sometimes it's not worked. Um, I've definitely had to, um, yeah, admit that it's not working and I need to do something else. I don't do the rooms now. It's just not part of my, my journey now. Um, and it just never really worked 100% for me. But I know it works for a lot of people, so I would never discount it. It's just that we need to be open-minded to different ways of doing this. I'll agree. I, I'll add. So I, I am doing the rooms right now. Uh, I go to Crystal Meth Anonymous meetings. I just started going to the harm reduction because I had to, was on like a waiting list. Um, mm. And they have total abstinent classes. But uh, I don't be I don't really believe in the like steps word for word. I hate that they're God focused. And I hate that. Yes, you could reinterpret that. But they basically are like, you need to do all these mental gymnastics to make it work for you. When to me, it should be a little more straightforward. And I, I don't also believe in the message of powerlessness. Like I am empowered to make a choice and to do things for myself. And I know that there are certain aspects and situations that I am powerless about, but I am a person, as a person, I don't like taking a stance of powerlessness. I like to be proactive about things and find choice where there is choice. Um, but I do like going to the meetings um, because I like the accountability. I like seeing the same mm. people. Um, yeah. I like being part of the 12 step community, but also being part of a bunch of different other communities. I don't like put all my eggs in the 12 step basket. Um, and I, it, it's taken a while to be comfortable with that because there was this urge to be like, you hear something and be like, Oh my God, that's so fucking stupid. Or like, this doesn't connect with me or you know what? I, the thing that bugs me the most is when people share about a popper's relapse. There was one dude who shared about it like five days in a row. And I'm like, people are here trying not to stick needles and pipe like pipes into their body. Um, like maybe once is fine, but like five days in a row about a popper's relapse to me. I know I'm being judgmental as fuck right now, but it's I've had to learn in those moments to be like, okay, this is what that person needs. It's not for me. And really just to separate. I am here for the camaraderie. I am here for the accountability. I leave the powerlessness behind. I leave the God shit behind. I just kind of take what I need from it. Yeah, it's 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 it can be a bit difficult. I I have on occasion um, been shamed by other members for not doing the steps or not having a sponsor, and and that goes against what I'm about. And, and it, I would never judge someone else's journey. That is not for me to say where they're at. Um, so it's 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 definitely take what you need and leave the rest. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually so I'm actually switching to a new sponsor and he would like to work the steps and I'm gonna try it. It's not something that I'm like super excited about, but it's at the end of the day, the steps are just therapy. I'm gonna really just delete everything from them that I don't agree with. Like it's an old book. It's an incredibly sexist book. Like I hated reading the AA and being like, the husband's going to get drunk and not be able to provide for the family and the wife's going to get drunk and spend all the grocery money. It's stupid shit like that. That's a turnoff for me. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely not great. <laughs> yeah, and then, you, and then you, you bring things up like that and people are like, oh, well, it's tradition. Like, find your own meaning into it. Interpret around, like, interpret around it. And I feel just like we're at a time where it's not acceptable no longer just to go with things that are tradition because they've been done in the past. Like, let's get some new literature out there that's more open. Like, let's quit reading this fucking book that was written in the 20s. I'm, I, I'm, I'm also a very firm believer in harm reduction. I think it's something that it and is, needs to stay and it needs to be funded better as well because um, yeah. it's as as you say it depends on where you are at in your journey if you're not quite ready to give it up fine okay let's give you the tool so you don't kill yourself yeah and, and get you to the next like step that you need or next for lack of a better word but next level that you need to be um i know for me and this is part of the reason why i've been like dipping my toes in at my law practice psychedelics at different points of my life have been very helpful um, 
and people are quick to quote Bill in the big book, but they don't really know the history that like Bill started exploring with psychedelics and LSD and thought that like psychedelics could potentially bring that like psychic change that's discussed. Um, but people kind of sweep that under the rug. And if you're not, you're not doing something that's a prescribed drug, it's, there's a stigma that you're doing something wrong, mm. but there's also been stigma against like cannabis and psychedelics from allowing them to be like medically recognized. Like, yeah. why is it okay for me to take uh, Wellbutrin for cravings and for depression and not cannabis? Like, to yeah. me, that's absurd. Well, funny enough on psychedelics, my, my therapist is, um, he, he recommended me to psychedelics for um, childhood PTSD. And mm -hmm. I, 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 it's not for me, but I can see why it might work for some, some people. Um, but it, it, it's, it's interesting. And I also, I'm also a firm believer in, in microdosing can work as well for some people as well. And that is prescribed and it's controlled and so on. It's, it's, uh, I'm not ashamed to say that at the moment I am on uh, presence um, mm -hmm. to help my mental health. Um, that I had a choice between two medications. One was I would take it when I needed it. And the other one I take at a certain time every day. I know by myself, if I take something where it's just when I need it, then yeah. I'll be taking it all the time. And that's sure. not for me. I need I need the the, the control and the, the timings for my medications. That makes sense. Mm. So we're coming to the end of our time. It's absolutely been fascinating to talk to you and learn a little bit more about you. If anyone's been watching or listening and something you've said has spoken to them, where where can they get a hold of you? Sure. Uh on uh, Instagram, Blue Bailey SF, the account that I'm speaking through right now. On Twitter, Blue Bailey XXX. Uh, you can check out my website, stephanferrislaw.com, uh, or shoot me an email at stefan at stephanferrislaw.com. Fantastic. And to end the conversation, is there anything like a really, a piece of advice you wished you might have had maybe 10 years ago you would like to pass on? Ooh, um... Sure. Yeah, I. That's a good question. <laughs> um, I would say don't necessarily take the first suggestion as offered as the only suggestion. Um, like listen to it, it's like research it, but like also like look for other points of view and other suggestions that are available and really find uh, find the community that works for you and. If you're finding something of benefit in a certain community, like feel free to kind of just shed the rest that doesn't work for you and just be comfortable working with what works for you. I've just seen a comment. I think the importance of the distinction between the alteration and mood modifying substances, uh, both are peer review evidence based on research and what it intended for, uh, for disordered condition and or temporary feelings. Which is fair enough, um, but yeah, uh, it's it's nice to see the interaction from people on here. We haven't been ignoring you, but we've been deep in conversation. I also saw a question earlier on. Um, maybe I I can pronounce this to you as the last bit. Do you feel being in the Leverkink fetish world that you are stigmatized to being HIV positive? Do you find that people? when they find out you're kinky assume that you're hiv positive that is being hiv positive an expectation of being part of the kink community that is a really good question um not anymore i mean i when i started filming porn back in like 2005 to like 2010 uh there was an assumption that when i was doing bareback i was hiv positive uh, almost to the point where I wanted to get that, like the biohazard tattoo, because I thought that would just be easier to have that to just tell everyone in the world. Um, but then I think U equals U and prep really kind of changed that conversation and that stigma for me. Like, just because someone's engaging in like a high risk sexual activity, 
who knows? Like, it's no longer the assumption that they're positive. They could be uh, on prep. The other person could be undetectable. Like, there could, there's like a myriad of different options there. So I don't think that's, I haven't really encountered that probably since like 2010. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit, yeah, I, I wouldn't say, I've, I've definitely had people in the past just assume I was positive. I've even had a sexual health clinic assume I was positive because I went in with a drug issue. So it, it definitely also comes with uh, drug addiction. People assume that you're positive. I would say though, as, <clears throat> as a prevention strategy, like um, from a per personal responsibility standpoint, like yes, assume everyone is positive. Like assume yeah. that you're going into a situation where this could happen. And then um, whether it's HIV, whether it's COVID, whether it's an STI, and then make judgments and decisions based on your own level of risk. If you're going to IML and you're fucking everyone at the hotel, it can be assumed that someone's going to be positive for something. So like maybe take your prep, maybe take your doxy that weekend. And if that's too much of a risk for you, then maybe wear a condom, maybe don't have sex. It's really your personal decision. Um, but you know, I, I, I flipped that like, yes, it could be stigmatizing to assume that someone's positive, but like, it's also a good strategy just from a personal responsibility standpoint. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's been amazing to have you on. Yeah, it's been great to chat with you. Fantastic. Are you going to be at IML this year? Unfortunately, no. Um, uh, money is very short at the moment. I'm not even going to Antwerp this week either for Dark Blends. Uh, um, yeah, I'm missing out on that too. Yeah, I, I did have a little bit of fun with a, a, a person from New York yesterday who was traveling to Antwerp today. Okay. So he had a l little dirty stub out before he went on. So that was good. That's awesome. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, it's been a pleasure to have you on. It's been eye-opening and informative. And I'm hoping anyone watching this has gotten something out of it as well. Yeah, I think I think uh, I saw my partner comment earlier, so I want to say hi, Sean. I love you, and I am not uh, wearing pants as <gasps> requested. Gasp! You're gonna get me Gasp. banned. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me here, Ralph. I hope to see you uh, soon. I hope to see you too as well. All right, have a good one. Bye. So that was Blue ba Bailey, um, also known as Steph. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have him on to discuss sober life, porn life, lawyer life. But go and check him out. There's so much stuff. Some nice videos. Uh, check out his law firm. Um, if you need some help with the contract, absolutely. Um, he's an absolute star. Um, and he's such a sweetheart. So. Thank you very much for watching and listening. Um, I will be back on the 22nd with another guest. So stay safe. And if you're going to Antwerp, have fun. So bye.